Our scripture reading this morning is from Revelations 5, uh, 1 through 14. You'll find that on page 1030 in your pew Bibles. Um, Please stand for the reading of God's word. Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lamb of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls filled full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy of you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed the people for God from each tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that was in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is God's word. My name is David Brock, and uh, I've been here for for quite a while, actually. And I had known uh, Rich Forson uh, long before he was uh, considering the mission field, and arguably uh, somewhat uh, later in uh, his career, was called by God uh, to, um, to spread God's word and was called to Romania. And it was really exciting you know, over the years to hear uh, the stories and um, how God was working uh, with him, with him and Sue uh, in that place uh, and you know, with those people. And uh, you know, I have to say, uh, Rich, I really enjoy spending time with Rich and our discussions because we have a, arguably somewhat of an esoteric interest. We love uh, talking about mathematics and physics as a way to understand uh, the richness of uh, God's world and the world he created and how he can interact with his people. And so, um, any case, I'd love to uh, welcome to the pulpit day, Rich, and uh, to hear how he's been working since his retirement. Um, thank you. It's good to see uh, Rick Saker here and his wife, and um, I remember with fondness my friendship with your father. He was a good friend. He is a good friend. So um, 
And it's also good to see so many people here I don't know. I used to be a member here at Westgate up until a few years ago when I transferred my um, membership down to a church down in Florida where I, um, where I now live. And um, I, you know, in, in all the years I've spoken before a congregation, I've never been so nervous as when I speak before you. I don't know why. <laughs> but it's really good to be here. And um, I'm really happy that um, the missions program is doing so well. It's good to see um, the church continue uh, our service here in missions and, and to go forward. And so many of the missionaries that we support come from our own congregation, and it's a great, great blessing. And then so many more come from our, from our immediate area. So it is uh, great to see old friends, uh, uh, both missionaries and members of the congregation, and Susie and I are really happy to be here. I would just like to open with a question. And that is, why serve Christ? Why volunteer in, the, in uh, different mission organizations in our community? Why serve here in the church? Why become a pastor? Why go into the pastorate? Why go overseas as a missionary? Why? Well, I think our passage from this morning uh, gives us a reason. And you know, there are many reasons, actually. One of them is that uh, serving Christ is a command. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Um, there is in, in the, a passage in the book of Mark where, where Jesus says, um, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. There's passages in a like in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus said, wait for power from on high. And beginning in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and you will be my witnesses to the uh, uttermost part of the earth. So there's, there's a great com there's command to go and take the gospel, not only to our own community, but to the farthest corners of the earth. But then also there are great needs. The foremost need people have is a spiritual need. Now Jesus said, this is his teaching. This is my, qu this is my quotation, not my teaching. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there is a great spiritual need that people have to hear the gospel and to believe in Christ so that they can be reconciled to God. Again, this is not my teaching. This is my quotation. Jesus is the one that said this. And then, of course, there are great physical needs that people have. And we all know the, the story of, 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 of Dr. Sacra and the and the need there in Africa among those who are suffering with, from Ebola. I mean, there's great physical needs that people have. There are refugees. There are people who uh, need an education that, that are sick, that need hospital care. So all of these reasons are reasons to go and serve Christ. 
But there is one great reason above all of these, and that is the love of Christ constrains us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead, that they which live should no longer live for themselves, but unto him who loved them and gave himself for them. And so this is, this is, if you were to take and you were to open the heart of Christian missionaries or, or those in Christian work and you were to ask them, why is it that you're serving? Most would say, it's because of the love of Christ. And it constrains me to do so. Now, our passage for this morning speaks about that. In Revelation chapter 5, actually Revelation chapter 5 is a continuation of a narrative that begins in chapter 4. And for the sake of time, let me just take and summarize a few things. First of all, in chapter 4, John the Apostle is caught up to heaven and there he has a vision. A vision of the throne of God and the worship that is taking place before that throne. And there's a description of God. And God is not described as a man. What he is, he is uh, it, uh, the passage describes him in the colors that he represents. And around the throne, there is a rainbow, which speaks of God's faithfulness in keeping his promise to Noah and his family about, the final, about judgment. And so God is faithful, he is, and he is worshipped before the throne. And if you look at, the, at what it says, it says that there are these living, four living creatures that are before the throne, and they are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And if you remember from your reading in the Old Testament, you will recognize that there are at least two other occasions when these four living creatures and their worship before the throne is spoken about. One is found in Isaiah chapter 6. Another is found in Ezekiel chapter 1. And let me just read uh, Isaiah chapter 6. <clears throat> In Isaiah chapter 6, if, you, if we begin with verse 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then, when we come to verse 8, it says this. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And then he gives a message. The Lord gives a message that he wants Isaiah the prophet to give to his people. Ezekiel is the same way. Ezekiel goes into a further description of these four living creatures, and at the end of the vision, God gives Ezekiel a book and says to eat it. And this is the message that was to be given to the people of Israel. Now when we come back to, um, to the book of, of Revelation, 
in Revelation chapter 5, 4 and 5, we see, as I said before, the living creatures, they were uh, worshiping before the throne. They were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then there was a message that was given. But this time, the message is not who will go for us, but now it is who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And so we read that in, uh, in chapter 5, verse 2. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And then verse 4 says, this is John speaking, John the Apostle. He says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Okay, in the Old Testament visions, people are called to take the message to God's people. In the book of Revelation, the message has gone out. We know that. Because later on in the chapter, it says there are people before the throne from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The work of the Great Commission is now finished. And now we've come to the end of the age where the book is going to be opened. What is this book? Well, you know what? We're not told. We're not told what the book is. And I searched, I looked through, the, I looked through the, 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 uh, the, the whole book of Revelation, there's not a mention of it, and the commentaries are all over the place. But I would just say this, that in the book of Revelation, you have a vision in heaven, and then a corresponding vision on earth. There's a vision in heaven, and a vision on earth. Another vision in heaven, and another corresponding vision on earth. And the book ends with the final vision in heaven where the throne of judgment is set and the books, plural, are opened. And men and women are judged out of those books according to their deeds. And then there is another book, the book of life is opened. So at the, end of the, at the end of the book, the books, all of the books are opened. Well, I'm assuming that this book is opened at the same time. Now exactly what it is, nobody, nobody really knows. But I would just say that when these books are, are opened, the judgment of God is complete and a new age is, and the, the, the new Jerusalem is, uh, becomes a reality. Well, we may not know the exact content of the book, but we do know what the seals represent. Now, there are seven seals. And as we read in chapters 6 through 9, as the seals are opened, there is a judgment that comes upon the earth. And with each seal, there is a corresponding judgment. Now, at, now, we know that the people of that time knew what these seals were all about. If you look in chapter 6, in uh, verse uh, 14, now, the sixth seal has just been opened. 
Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling out to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for, their great day, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So people knew. This, the, sixth, uh, the sixth seal was a great earthquake. Nobody was saying that this was a natural earthquake. They all recognized that this was something that was supernatural and that it represented the great day of the Lord that was coming upon them. Knowing this, what did they do? Well, in chapter 9, it says that Um, chapter 9, I'm going to verse uh, 20. It says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works, of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Even though people knew what these seals represented and the judgments that came with them people did not repent so when no one was found worthy to open the book why was john crying why was he weeping and you think about it no one is found worthy think of the great uh Founders of our republic, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, all of these guys, none of them were worthy. Abraham Lincoln, who helped preserve it, he was not found worthy. Nor were the, uh, the, people, the men that defeated uh, fascism at the, end of the, at the end of the Second World War, Eisenhower, Churchill, and Montgomery, and all of, these, all of these great men, none of them were found worthy. Nor were the great religious leaders that we've had in the past, Martin Luther, all of them, no one was found worthy. And when no one was found worthy, the apostle wept. Now, why would he weep? After all, if, if the seals cannot be opened, these great judgments will not come. Well, let me put it to you this way. Is there not a desire in our heart for the kingdom of God to come to pass? All of us Christians have that desire that God's kingdom will finally come on the earth and finally get rid of all of this mess that we're in. And the unbelievers, those who are outside the church, feel the same way. They all want a better life for their children. They want a, uh, they, they want a new, better world. That world, that kingdom, cannot come unless first there is judgment. Why is that? Let me put it to you this way. Have you ever had anybody lie about you? Say something behind your back? Hurt your reputation? Hurt your friendships with others? Have you ever had anybody lie about you like that? I imagine if we, if I asked for, for you to raise your hands, most of you would raise your hands and say, you know, there's been a time when people have lied about me and, and it hurt me. Well, let me ask you a follow-up question. Have you ever lied about somebody? Have you ever lied about something? 
You know, if you've lied, you know what that makes you? That makes you a liar. Same thing about stealing. Have you ever had anybody steal, take something that belonged to you? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever taken anything that doesn't belong to you? If you have, that makes you a thief. And these are the things, these are the kinds of things. If we go down the, through the commandments, have you ever had this happen to you? Have you done it? All of us would be found guilty. We'd all have to admit there's been things that we've said and that we've done that we're, not only are, are we ashamed of, but we know that are wrong. This is something that needs to be dealt with before there can be a new heaven and a new earth. We all want uh, a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. That's what we want. So there's a judgment that has to come. And when John realized that the, that the seals and the book could not be opened, and that resolution to the problem of sin could not have its final solution, John wept. Well, the text says, then... One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw, the lamb, saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So there was someone who was worthy. The lion of the tribe of Judah, this speaks of the Jewish Messiah and all of the promises that went with it, went with him. All of the things that he was to fulfill when he came in the life of Israel. He has prevailed and he can open the book and loose the seals thereof. And then when John looked, there was a lamb. And that, is, of course, speaks of our redemption. For at the, at the time when he saw the lamb standing there, the worship began. And they were all saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain, who has redeemed us to God, out from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And this is how God has, this is how Christ has prevailed. It's not just with a sword, but it is through his sacrifice on the cross. Now just, just, review with me, just think again with me about what happened in the last few hours that Jesus was here on earth. He was in the garden praying. And as he and his disciples were praying, Judas and the, uh, and the guards from the Sanhedrin came and arrested him. He was taken away and he stood before the Sanhedrin they blindfolded him, and then they beat him and said, prophesy, tell us who beat you. Tell us who hit you. And they mocked him. And then they brought him to Pilate, the Roman governor. The Romans were proud of their justice and of their judicial uh, system. They were proud of it. 
And yet, what did Pilate do? He took an innocent man and put him on the cross and released instead a man who was guilty of, of theft and of murder. He was a robber and a murderer, and Barabbas, that man, went free while Jesus, the innocent one, went to the cross in his place. And then they took Jesus, and they brought, the soldiers brought him into their barracks, I guess it was, or into the praetorium. And there they stripped him of his robes and they beat him. They put a crown of thorns on his brow. They put a robe around him and then they knelt before him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. But they beat him, they scourged him, and they put a crown of thorns on his head. And then they took him out to crucify him. Now, Isaiah chapter 53 tells us why. Isaiah says in chapter, chapter 53, verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus did not die as a martyr. He did not die as a victim of injustice. Although he was martyred and although he was a victim of injustice, that's not why he died. He died to reconcile us to God. And look at what Isaiah 53 says. Here is... And this hand represents you and I. My glasses here represent our sin. We were bearing our sin and we were facing the judgment of God. Now, when God judged our sin, we would be judged right along with it. But Isaiah says that the Lord laid on him, that is on Christ, the iniquity of us all. So he took our sins, placed it upon his son, and there on the cross, he judged it. And our sins were laid upon Christ, and they were judged there. And so what? We're free. We've been declared not guilty. And knowing this, all of heaven is rejoicing. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. That's why he's worthy. Does this mean nothing to you? The love of Christ constrains us. That love that God had and Christ had to suffer and die in our place. That love constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. That they which live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. That's our great motivation for serving Christ. It's his love for us. It's what he did for us there on the cross. Does it mean nothing? You know, um, my favorite hymn is when I survey the wondrous cross. 
I guess it's the third stanza. It says, see from his head, his hands and his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. That's how, he, that's how Isaac Watts described his, the, the bleeding Savior. Sorrow for our sins. Love for, for those of us who needed forgiveness. Flow mingled down. Did e'er such love or sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? And then he says in the last stanza, were the whole realm of nature mine. That were a present far too small. Far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And that's what these people in the book of Revelation were doing. They were saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain. And they were worshiping him. And that is why we go to the mission field. Now, as I said, between the Old Testament passages that talk about that worship in heaven and that which we find in the book of Revelation, think of them as two bookends of a great library. And in that library are all the things that, the Christ, that Christian uh, workers have done to bring that, that to bring this age to a conclusion. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it says this, listen, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So how are we doing? How are we doing in fulfilling this great commission? Well, let me just put it to you this way. Do you know what country, in what country the church is growing fastest? It's Iran. The church is growing faster in the, in, uh, in the nation of Iran than it is in any other nation on earth. It's hard to believe, but it's true. Do you know that today or within a few, a few short years, China will have more Christians numerically than any other country on earth? In China. In other parts of the world, the gospel is booming. It is booming. So how are we doing? The completion of this task is within our grasp. This generation of young missionaries have the privilege of seeing this work coming to an end. We're that close. And what we need now is one final push for people to hear the call of God to go into missions and to obey and to go. That's how close we are. And that's why we have a missions conference today. Not only to give a call for young people, and actually, Susie and I, we went when we were 50. For, for us older Christians to go too. 
if God calls us, but to hear that call and obey it. And for us as a church to stand behind them and pray for them and send them, give them the finances that they need. That's what we need to do. We need to make that one final push together with the other churches in, <coughs> in this world to finish the task and to see the Lord come back. What a day of rejoicing that will be. When, the, when, the, when Christ returns, the trumpet is sounded, the dead in Christ will raise, the thrones will be set, and the books will be opened, and this age will come to an end. But you know, there's one thing that you need to think about right now. Some of you, are, God is speaking to some of you. Either to be involved in, in witnessing to your neighbors and friends, Surely all of us have, have that on our heart. To become involved in Christian ministries in our neighborhoods, in our area. To serve in our church. To go into the pastorate. To go to the mission field. Surely God is speaking. But remember, one of the things that the Lord said in his, in his prayer, the Lord's prayer, what did he say? He said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, there are two kinds of temptation. There's the temptation to do that which is wrong, evil things, things we know are wrong, sinful things. But there's also the temptation to sin in not doing what we know we ought to do. Now, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I don't know. I think God's calling me. I think God's speaking to me. But I don't know. Temptation. Temptation not to do that which you know is right. How about it? Is Christ worth it? Is he worthy? As the text says, is he worthy? Is he worth it? Just think about the love of Christ. And there you have your answer. Let's close with a prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, I just... ask you now to speak to the hearts of the people in, in our church. How thankful Susie and I were for having them send us. All of us missionaries are grateful for, for Westgate Church and the support and the prayers that they've offered. But Father, we just want now to have our vision restored and our vision renewed for the great task that you have. We pray, Lord, that that you would speak to the hearts of people that are here. Some may not even know you, Father. May they recognize what Christ did for them on the cross in taking their sins. And may they come in repentance and faith. May they not harden their heart like the people in the book of Revelation who would not repent. We pray that there would be repentance. We pray that we as a church would be unified among ourselves that any hard feelings, sins that we've done, things we've said, 
to one another that today would be a day when uh, you would uh, uh, bring reconciliation and peace between the members of our church. We also pray for those to whom you're speaking, for those who know that they need to witness to a neighbor and a friend and, are, and haven't done so, we just pray, Lord, that today or this week would be a time when they would go to their neighbor, go to their friend, go to their relatives and say, you know, I want to tell you about Christ. And I pray for those who are, are, feel the, the call to go into uh, uh, volunteer service in our community and with the other mission organizations that, that, that we support here with, at Westgate. I just pray, Lord, that they would volunteer. And for those who are called into Christian ministry to, the, uh, to be into the pastorate or to serve overseas, Lord, I just pray that you'd give them the courage and the faith to step out and say, I'll go. May they be like Isaiah who said, here am I, send me. And may we hear that call and may people respond in that way until that last call goes out who is worthy to open the seals and the age is brought to a close. So we just pray, Lord, that uh, we at, at Westgate would not slacken in our zeal for missionary work, that we would support those who we sent out in both in prayers and financially, and that we would send our own children, be willing to send our own children overseas to see this, this great task completed. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.